Hello, and welcome to Shut Off That Noise. I'm your host, Craig Riddock. In this week's episode, I visit with electronic musician and composer Steve Castellano. I've known him for decades as a journeyman keyboard player and a synthesizer guru. He's an avid collector of vintage keyboards and analog synthesizers. Much of his recent work has been created exclusively on the modular synthesizer that he's been building and evolving for quite some time. Piece by piece, module by module, he has assembled a unique and expressive electronic instrument of his own design. And we're going to dive in deep into the methods and madness that he uses to create music and soundscapes on the modular synth, right down to the nuts and bolts. For your left brain, Steve goes into great detail about how it works. And for your right brain, the music. The music of Steve Castellano, performed entirely on the modular synthesizer. Okay, before we talk to Steve, I need to get you all up to speed. In the early 60s, companies like ARP, Buckla, and Moog released the first commercially available modular, voltage-controlled music synthesizers. The components of these instruments were not hardwired, rather you had to patch the modules together manually with cables in specific signal chains to create the sounds, or what they called patches. Knowing how to do this required as much knowledge in music as it did electronics. Moog was arguably the most commercially successful of these, the signature sound of which was made famous in 1968 with the release of Switched on Bach, the album by Wendy Carlos, and later with her film score for Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. The Moog was central to the sounds of many artists in the 60s and 70s like Jean-Jacques Perry, Gershon Kingsley, Tangerine Dream, Jean-Michel Jarre, and Keith Emerson of ELP. Alternatively, the sound of the ARP 2500 modular, a favorite of Pete Townsend, can be heard on the recordings of The Who like Bob O'Reilly and Who Are You, both famously used as the theme music for the CSI TV series. The Buckla modular, however, with its strange and esoteric design, has remained a frontier reserved for the fringe elite. The iconic image of the modular is one of a ceiling-high monolith. Straight out of science fiction, they looked like a mad scientist's secret weapon with a keyboard attached, like a nuclear pipe organ, sort of a hybrid between the console of an airliner and a telephone switchboard, with a grid of metal panels covered in a constellation of multicolored flashing lights, a matrix of knobs and plugs beneath a web of multicolored wires. On stage, these towering instruments did well to visually compete with the presence of Marshall Stack guitar amplifiers and mega-sized drum kits, so typical of the progressive rock era. Not everyone had four stagehands to carry their synthesizer for them, so it goes that average Joe musicians wanted those amazing sounds, but in a roadworthy portable instrument. The giant modular system goes out of vogue, and from there forward, that pretty much cemented and placed the format of the electronic keyboard in a neat, tidy case with buttons and knobs, just like the digital piano your kids do their piano lessons on. The fact still remains that for the synthesizer connoisseur, the modular paradigm affords a hands-on, physical, tactile user interface. There's a kind of electric voodoo about them that gives them an incredible charm and mystery. They are temperamental and chaotic and are known to take on a life of their own at times. 
They're capable of producing sweet, warm musical sonorities and dissonant, unearthly noises that an all-in-one-box instrument just can't make. Building a system is an addictive fetish for some, and although it's not the sport of kings it once was, it still costs about $300 to $500 per module. An expensive hobby to be sure. It's quite an industry these days, with a proliferation of boutique electronic manufacturers filling the instrument shops with exotically named modules that can do all manner of sound making and manipulating. It's seemingly endless. Contemporary artists like Radiohead, Goose Goose, Trent Reznor, Aphex Twin, and just about every EDM producer these days are using modulars. Right now, we're pretty much living in the golden age of the modular, with some very cool gear being made these days with whole new capabilities never thought of before. I got Steve talking about his take on the modular renaissance of the 21st century. Modulars never really went away, like I was saying before about these guys who would, uh, who had ferreted away their the analog synths that they found in pawn shops. There were always manufacturers producing modular components, some of them as DIY kits and uh, some of them as mail order. And there was never really a time since the, since the 60s that modular synths were completely out of production. In the 90s, it was a fellow named uh, Dieter Dopfer came up with this idea of using an existing rack mount standard called Eurorack and creating uh, a modular system that was a little smaller than, than the Moog systems we're used to seeing, uh, that was more affordable, but still uh, had, a, had a certain consistency of, of design and that aim of creating sounds and, and, and experimentation. I hope you've all experienced the joy of listening to a group of expert musicians jam and make spontaneous music. Well, jamming on the modular is a lot different. I asked Steve to explain why. The interesting thing about composing and making music on a modular synthesis, synthesizer is that it's, it's a bit of a collaboration with a machine. And if I, want, if I were to compare it to, to a jazz performance, that's, that's probably about as far as I could go in that you don't always get precisely the sound that you expect, or in some cases, if you're just playing with these uh, random control voltage generators we were talking about earlier, you might be looking to be surprised. But it's a matter of uh, making a patch, making an adjustment, and then listening to what comes out. And then what you hear will determine how you want to proceed from there. How would you build on that sound that just came out? Or would you back off of that? Is it doing something that you'd like and you'd like to sit and listen to for a bit and you might let it run through its sequence for, sequence for a while before changing it and, and, uh, and trying to develop something else more complementary? The differences between performing with live people and performing with a, a modular synthesizer, the harmonic vocabulary of a modular is pretty limited. It's a bit like spinning plates. You can't, you know, on a piano, you just lift up the sustain pedal and put your hand somewhere else, create a different chord, move into a different key. Uh, it's, it takes a little longer to change the, uh, the tonality of what's coming out of a modular synthesizer. There are ways to get around that with keyboard control, but for the most part, certainly with the tonal compositions that I create on this machine, 
it tends to get into a, a, a bit of a modal groove. And of course, once you've got a modal pitch set, you can start adding bass notes to it and, and, uh, and change from major to minor by moving your bass around. But you're, you're restricted until you go in and start pressing these buttons to, uh, to a specific tonality. One of our listeners called in with this curious question. When you perform live, how much is left up to chance? How much do you improvise? How much is planned? It's a bit of a mix. I, I have a plan in terms of, uh, in terms of a shape. I have uh, some basic ways of storing rhythms in this trigger generator and pitch sets in this sequencer here so that I know where I can switch to and what elements that I can, uh, that I can introduce. It's impossible to reproduce something note from note from one performance to the next. So there's always a bit of a sense of adventure, possibly a slight amount of anxiety, but you, you have to be you have to be ready to react and listen and uh, and decide what direction you want to uh, you want to move in from from one phase of a composition to the, to the next. When I took a look at Steve's modular system and I did the math, I was thinking this is a pretty expensive hobby. For someone who wanted to get into this for the first time, I asked him, what are the essentials you need? Well, uh, the first thing you want to do is uh, think about what kind, of, what kind of music you want to make, what kind of sounds you want to make. You could set up a modular synthesizer to be a patchable version of a mono synth, or you could create a modular synthesizer that was for non-tonal music and just noise and drones, and that would determine what sort of modules you would get. For starters, you would want uh, a rack and a, and a power supply. Anyone can do this, really, but the first thing people will find out is that it doesn't have tidy barrel connectors and DC adapters. There are actually uh, rib ribbon cables and, and connectors in the back that you have to, to plug into a power distribution board. I see. So there's a lot more than just the wires that we see on the front of the board. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks a little hairy uh, on the back, and and you have to you have to be um, sensible. There there are plenty of stories of, of people um, waiting months to get a, a $500 module and bringing it home and plugging one of these cables in backwards and seeing what's referred to as magic smoke, and it's uh, it's very sad. So you have to. Uh, Measure, measure twice and cut once, as they say. Um, okay, here comes the answer. So you start with uh, some sort of rack and a power supply. You'll need the basic components of a, uh, an analog synthesizer are usually a pretty good place to start, and that is uh, a filter, a voltage-controlled amplifier, an oscillator to generate sound, a low-frequency oscillator to modulate it, envelope generators to shape the behavior of your filters and amplifiers. So that's, you know, maybe half a dozen modules that you could get in a, a very uh, reasonable size for, for uh, not too much money. And you'd be able to make some interesting sounds like that. Okay, so now that you've got those ones, uh, oh, you're, you're hooked on electro crack now. But it's... Uh, um, it is a notoriously uh, addictive hobby. I, I try to limit myself by uh, thinking in terms of a, a performance system, but my, my idea with this case was that, and I've, I've tested this in, in performance situations, there's about 40 modules here, 
and they're about the limit of what I can keep in my head when I'm performing live. And usually I'll, I'll perform between a 20 and 40 minute set and you, you've been on stage, you, there's, you don't always have as much time as you'd like to set up and sound check and then the lights are on and you have to go and start making sound. If I took this case and this red case over here on stage, I would be in danger of, of getting lost in the middle of a set and, unless, I, unless I really uh, had a clear idea of, of, of what my plan was. But I'm trying to keep to that idea of uh, don't, don't bite off more than you can chew, don't buy more modules than you could reasonably take on stage and, and, and make some use of in a performance situation. We know the modular synthesizer can make a lot of amazing noises, but how do you get it to play melodies and patterns? There are um, a few different ways to get melodies going in here. Uh, and you can, of course, hook up a keyboard to it and play things live. Uh, but most of these generative type patches that I, that I create are evolving things based on, on repeating sequences. I've got a 16-step sequencer here that will, that will play back a series of pitches in any order, not just backwards and forwards, but sliced up into different chunks. You see it's here. It's not actually uh, strictly linear. It's this four by four grid. Okay. So I can tell it to sort of quasi-randomly start running through this grid in different patterns. So um, your melody becomes kind of a, a pitch set rather than a fixed melody and a, a, a cloud of notes that determines a tonality. I've got other slightly more random things here. Uh, this fellow is called a, a Turing machine. And what it does is it generates a random sequence of up to 16 notes, and then it repeats them. And you can control with this knob uh, how often individual notes in that 16 note sequence are going to get replaced. It's a way of controlling randomness it's a way of uh, starting out getting inspired by random things and then sort of uh, zooming in on what you like and, and, and limiting how much it changes after that. A, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of these modules and, and the way I work uh, involve um, that kind of random selection and then narrowing down and, and sort of fixing things in time and, and pitch. I can take those random pitches and run them through this uh, CV quantizer. And what that does is it will limit and sort of uh, change, the, change the pitch of the input to what I select. You can see it's got this little keyboard here now. Uh, um, so if I set it up like that, it'll take all the incoming pitches. It could be even, you know, uh, microtonal stuff. And it will re-pitch them to, in this case, I've set up a... Uh, C minor 7. Okay. So again, it's another way of taking any sort of input at all and, and sort of shaping it like clay as it's, as it's moving through the machine. Harmonic Vocalizations is a track by Steve that I've really come to like, and there's a really cool video on YouTube that shows you how he makes the piece. There's this really spooky voice sound in this track, and I asked Steve how he created it. The sound itself originates as a, as a sample set. The idea of, of injecting voices into, into the music that I make is really, uh, really appealing to me. 
and it's this woman who specializes in the singing styles of various ethnic cultures in, in, uh, in Europe and stuff. You can load in individual samples and then you can control through voltages how to speed up and slow down those sounds or, or to trigger them and to granulate them, which is kind of like to, uh, to slice up a sound into little bits as it's playing and then manipulate it. So you can, you can take a, a, any sound, warp it, change its, change its relative pitch, manipulate it and, and break it up. Once you start doing that with, with the human voice, just because it's something we're all so, uh, so familiar with, once you start warping it, it, it gets very eerie very quickly just because we're used to perceiving it in a certain way. And here's a track called Interference 4. It's on a two-song EP called Evening at Jay's and it's available on Bandcamp. I asked Steve to talk about the making of this track. The two tracks in uh, An Evening at Jay's are based on uh, a performance that I did at a, at a party. They were we well received and I was pretty happy with how they went. And as soon as I could, I tried to wire things up back in my studio here in a, in a, in a similar way before I forgot the shape of what I what I had created the, the previous night. I probably took four or five passes at it before I got close to uh, uh, to what I wanted. I think I might have done a small bit of editing to splice uh, to splice something out. Perhaps sometimes I'll be working on this and I'll get into a sequence that I like. The sequence might go a little long, so I think I went in and, and spliced a little bit out. So what follows here is that uh, Steve had prepared for us a setup on his modular and he's going to demonstrate here for us how he can build up rhythms and patterns and modify sounds using the modular. So uh, what we have here is a trigger that is sending a pulse to an envelope generator that's creating that little spiky plucked sound and that sound is controlling the shape of a filter. Okay, this is pretty simple so far, right? It brighter at times and more mellow at other times. And then that's going into uh, a VCA, that amplifier, that's also being controlled in the same way with an envelope that's determining the loudness change over time. A voltage-controlled right amplifier varies the volume of a sound. The pitch control is coming from uh, a sequencer, and I've got it frozen right now just on one of the notes. But if I free it up to start rolling through its various pitches. And because um, that's being triggered by my little trigger, my trigger generator here, I can control that pattern. It doesn't have to be regular, it can uh, uh, Sorry, let me I've I've gotten lost already. There, I can start changing that pattern. There, I've just hit a couple, uh, added a couple notes into the sequence and and uh, uh, into the trigger sequence, and now it's going twice as fast. We could change that rhythm up. 
and Steve continues to add on more and more layers of complexity here. And now let's see what happens if we add in something similar from this uh, Turing machine that's generating uh, random, slightly more random pitches. We heard the Turing machine uh, in one of the earlier segments. Oh yeah, and Alan Turing was an English scientist and mathematician oh. who invented the Turing machine, which was pretty much the prototype for oh, the modern-day computer. This is running through a pitch quantizer. So I can add some more pitches in there, make it a little more interesting. increase the range of the randomizer so I'll get higher pitches in that sequence. I'm sorry for the mic rattle there. I think the cats were bothering us. Steve has two or three really big cats that were really interested in my mic cables. I've also got uh, some basic drum sounds in here that I can dial in. There's actually a combination of samples and FM synthesis in, in the drums. The, the hi-hats are a very lo-fi sample. The kick and snare are digitally created through FM synthesis. Uh, and that's, that's another exciting thing about the modular system is if you feel analog isn't enough, you can add in sample players, FM synthesis modules, wavetables. I'm going to see if I can bring in... Uh, some of those sampled sounds that I was talking about earlier. So now I've got a bit of a vocal sample here. I'm going to try and uh, Try and mess that up a little bit with an LFO. The LFO, or Low Frequency Oscillator, is a component that's used to create vibrato or tremolo. And now I can set that vocal sample up with a trigger so that instead of looping, It'll just play in the same way that a drum sound does. Nice. <laughs> it is pretty cool, isn't it? Okay, it starts to get a little nasty here. run to master that and make a 45 out of it right away. I think it needs a little more work, but that's a, that's that a general idea of how a patch can come together. It's truly it's amazing. Cool, isn't it? It's truly amazing. I thought Thanks for cool. sharing that process with us. That's, uh... You're very welcome. 
Okay, are you hearing what I'm hearing? I mean, it's just a crazy robot, right? I'm the crazy robot. Is he saying what the f***? Um, <laughs> or am I just thinking he's saying what the f***? I... Th- Uh, no, I think that's for them. I can... <laughs> Dangerous things can happen when you start slicing up uh, sounds. The people chickens are imposed. Is that what it said? Well, there you have it, folks. A little lesson on the perils of combining chaos and speech samples. The ghosts in the machine can get a little unruly at times, don't you think? I highly encourage you to search for Steve's work on Bandcamp, YouTube, and SoundCloud. It's easy, just search for Steve Castellano. That's got two L's. Next week's episode comes early. It's going to be a Christmas episode with lots of music. So I can kind of have the week off. So that's it for episode two of Shut Off That Noise. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Steve Castellano. I leave you with the sounds of the rainy street outside his studio the night I interviewed him. So until next time, take care of yourselves. This is Craig Riddock, and you've been listening to Shut Off That Noise. <laughs>